Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. She had these big, round glasses, and uh, and she was a little cross-eyed, which, you know, just drove me crazy. In the torrent of confusion and hormones and spontaneous erections and fear and fear of spontaneous erections, I managed to get myself unhealthily attached to one girl in particular. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Soup Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. And I am Jessica Hinkin. And this week, we're continuing with Return to the Soup, a series in which we feature a memorable soup story and explore various fascinating questions with the storyteller, or in this case, storytellers. Before we get started, though, we want to thank the Park School of Baltimore, which is a wonderful pre-K through grade 12 non-sectarian school located just outside our fair city. Yes, and I believe one of our storytellers today is a Park School graduate, so there's an extra little plug for them. But today we're sharing two stories from our 2016 Soup show um, that was a 10th anniversary show featuring stories about awkward adolescents. So after we listen to these two stories, we'll catch up with the storytellers, Larry and Ben Doyle. Her name was Marietta. She worked in the English resource room. You know, Marietta, you know, kind of like Mary with sprinkles. I was a junior, and she was a senior, and she was pretty in that, that nerdy way that really wasn't a thing back then. <laughs> she had these big, round glasses, and, uh, and she was a little cross-eyed, which, you know, just drove me crazy, <laughs> just trying to, trying to figure out which one to look into, and uh, she wore sundresses, even when it was cloudy outside. And she was, she was like bony in all the right places. <laughs> Plus, she talked to me. <laughs> so one day, I was at her desk in need of some English resources. <laughs> and, she, and Marietta said something about something. And I replied, do you want to go to a movie with me? <laughs> Only not that cool. <laughs> um, she said yes. Uh, I may have gotten an erection. (laughs) I mean, probably. I was getting them all the time. (laughs) Um, So just a little context. This was the year 1975. Play the number one song in 1975. The number two song in 1975 was Rhinestone Cowboy. So in 1975, everything sucked. Um, We didn't have SNL, and we didn't have the good movies within SNL cast members. And and what passed for comedy was Johnny Carson spraying whipped cream on the crotch of Burt Reynolds' leather pants. And you can find that on YouTube. But we had heard tell of this movie, this outrageous sketch movie that had been released in New York only a year before and was coming to the outer suburbs of Chicago. 
It was called the groove tube. You can look that up. So we're going to see the groove tube. And I had my plan already. I was going to pick Marietta up in my, my dad's silver Cordoba. We were going to drive to Woodfield Mall, and I was going to buy the tickets, and I was going to pay for the popcorn and jujubes, whatever she wanted. And then, although Marietta was kind of a prim girl, um, the name of her religion had more than two words in it, um, I had scheduled some time for making out. Um, uh, The Cordoba had those rich Corinthian leather seats and... You know, I really only thought two people would get that joke. Uh, um, but as I was imagining it, she would take off her glasses and shake out her hair. And, and, and then, uh, I don't know, they didn't show that part in 1975. So, um, and I really wasn't experienced, and it was the Midwest, so we didn't have easy access to the sensuous woman. And... Um, And I didn't have very much experience touching a girl beyond truth or dare. Um, And even not that. I mean, in eighth grade, Greg Blair um, dared Julie Roberts to kiss me, and she quit. (laughs) That that was another trauma. Um, Anyway, this this was not going to happen this time, because I just had it all worked out. But first, I had to get a driver's license. Teenage brain. So the morning of the date, my mom drives us like 20 miles to Libertyville where the DMV is, and I take the test, and of course I fail. Um, But I only fail by one point. And this guy, because I had failed by such a little amount and and maybe was crying, he, he made an exception, and he allowed me to take the test a second time on the same day. Uh, my second tester had a, you know, a crew cut, and uh, he had this sort of permanently flexed face, like he had not had a bowel movement since Nixon resigned. <laughs> and somewhere around the time when he yelled, if there was a baby on that curb, you would have killed it. <laughs> so that night, a banana yellow hornet drives up into Marietta's driveway, Uh, I'm in the back seat. My mom is at the wheel. (laughs) Marietta gets in the back, and my mom drives us the 12 miles to Woodfield. She hated driving on highways, so she's driving like this the whole time. Not that I can criticize. Um, And we get there, and the line to buy tickets to the Groove Tube is going all the way around the building. And the line to get into after you've bought tickets to the Groove Tube is also all the way around the building. Uh, it doesn't look great. We get in line. We start chatting, and it's going really well. And, you know, I'm feeling like we're on a trajectory to maybe making out. Um, we get to the ticket booth, and I pull out my crisp $10 bill. And the ticket seller looks at the bill, and he looks at me, and he says, How old are you? He was rated R. Marietta was allowed in, but I wasn't. Um, I... I I offered to stay outside, but she, she was a good sport up until, you know, that point. So I call my mom on a payphone. It's like a machine with lots of coins. And <laughs> she drives back out to Woodfield, then gets with us and drives us about 15 more miles to the Randhurst Mall. 
I, I think my mom was probably pretty great after all, but um, I don't know why I pay for therapy when I could just do this. Um, <laughs> we get in at the Randhurst Mall, and it's packed, and everyone's excited, and the movie starts, and this woman is running through the woods in the movie, and this man is running after her, and the, and the woman laughs, and she takes off her top, and the man laughs, and he takes off his top, and, and they keep running, and the woman takes off everything else, and the man takes off everything else, and he's like flopping all over the place. <laughs> Uh, in my memory, he had red hair. Um, and I'm pretty sure this was the first time Marietta had ever seen a penis. So I turned to her to sort of gauge her reaction, and she's just like staring straight ahead. Um, the rest of the movie went like that. There was a TV clown who read pornography to kids. There was an ad for some brown sludge from a company called Uranus. Uh, uh, at some point, I tried to hold her hand, but I, I couldn't pry it off the armrest. <laughs> and then uh, there was the venereal disease ad. <laughs> this odd-looking puppet is talking about the, the signs of gonorrhea. You know, painful urination, white discharge. And this laugh starts rippling through the whole audience and I realize as they push in that the puppet's nose is a penis that's been pushed through a hole through the backdrop and it's been shot upside down so that the scrotum forms the top of the head and there are googly eyes glued onto the testicles. So I turn to Marietta, and I say, would you like to leave? And she said, no. So on the way home, Maria rode shotgun next to my mom. But we get to the end of the date, and we're, we're on the porch. You know, it's just Marietta and I. And my mom is in the car in the driveway with the headlights on. And it was kind of like this. <laughs> And, you know, a little embarrassing, and so I try to make the best of it, you know, break a little joke, and I say, so, I guess I'll take a rain check on that kiss goodnight. <laughs> and uh, Marietta says, yeah. Thank you, Dad, for cleansing their palates. Um, so, back when I was a teenager... I, like my father, um, had little to no semblance of a grasp on how to romance girls. But unfortunately for me, from the minute I set my size three foot in that middle school, I was surrounded by those goddamn things. They... And in the torrent of confusion and hormones and spontaneous erections and fear and fear of spontaneous erections, I managed to get myself unhealthily attached to one girl in particular. And this girl happened to be my best friend. Um, now, I, of course, didn't 
originally acknowledged this as infatuation. I just knew that some things were different. I knew that she had kind of nice hair now and that I would stare at her for uncomfortably long extended periods of time until she told me to stop. But I had no way of expressing these feelings to her. That is until seventh grade. Now, in seventh grade, there was a seventh grade dance. And like any reasonable seventh grader who's crushing on his best friend, I decided to write her an email. And the email went a little something like this. Hey, did you hear that there's a dance coming up? That's so stupid. Dances are so... Do you want to go? Do you want to go to it? Yeah. Um, This email did not come up in our daily conversations for about a week. And at the end of the week, she came up to me and she let me know that she would love to go to the dance with me just as long as she wouldn't be there. Um, And, in fact, that she couldn't be there because... She had plans for that weekend. Bummer. Now, she probably told me this, assuming that I wasn't pathetic enough to go to the dance myself and check. And like most bets that rely on me not being pathetic enough to do something, they lose every time. Uh, And lose she did. Because naturally she was at the dance, and so was I. Um... I decided the best course of action would be to sit against the wall and stare at her until she made eye contact with me so that I could instill in her the guilt that she deserved. (laughs) This did not woo her quite as well as I thought it would. So I vowed never to ask her out again. And the next time I asked her out was in ninth grade two years later. (laughs) I did so via a Facebook message. And this was directly after she had left my house one night. Yeah. Um, the The message went something like this. Hey. Dating is stupid, right? You wanna you wanna go out on a date with me? Um And luckily, thank God, she said, I've been thinking about that too. Cue mistake number two. I go to my mom to ask what to say next. And my mom asked me to say that she's really great somewhere in my stoop story, but that conflicts with the next thing I'm going to say, which is that she sucks. Um, Specifically, she sucks at giving advice with relationships, and she told me to say, well, we could also just say friends if that's what you wanted to do. Uh, yeah. So, (laughs) turns out that girls don't like it when you ask them out and then immediately take it back. (laughs) So, she decided that we would talk about it at school the next day. I did not talk to her at school the next day. In fact, I, at several points that day, ran away from her just to avoid talking to her. Um, And at the end of the day, she messaged me and told me that she was not ready for a relationship. This was a perfectly legitimate lie. 
Um, but either way, she did not talk to me for a month. And at the end of that month, I was on a camping trip with one of the new kids. And I was getting to know him. And he mentioned something about getting a new girlfriend. Great. Who? Give you one guess. Yeah. So when I learned that he was now dating who I thought to be the love of my life at the time, I concocted a little bit of a plan. And the plan had two parts. Part number one, take out my phone, text her, hey, I hear you're dating the new guy. I am okay. Because nothing says okay like telling someone you're okay out of the blue after not talking for a month. Part number two, I decided that I would go to him and tell him that I had a list of acceptable boyfriends for her and that he did not make the list. I was the list. And to my surprise, she talked to me the next day at school for the first time in a month. Unfortunately, it was about why I had a list of acceptable boyfriends for her. <laughs> Specifically, why her boyfriend didn't make the list. Um, at this point, I was really presented with two options. Cry or sort of turn this round into a romantic gesture, win her love back. So I chose cry. <laughs> I actually chose cry a lot and in public. Um, and by some miracle, we remain friends to this day, so much so that she's actually listening to this right now. And I may have neglected to mention that this was about her. So, I am sorry. Before we get started with our discussion, we want to thank Golden West, a southwestern vegan forward restaurant on the avenue in Hamden. You can carry out, you can pick up um, and eat outside there and you should support them they're good people and we want to thank baltimore magazine you can find them on the newsstand or online and they've been a great supporter of the soup podcast all right so today as we said we have larry and ben doyle who are father and son and they're here to chat with us about what it was like to share their stories what's changed anything they feel like sharing about the stories so who wants to go first Ben does. <laughs> ben, Ben. So tell us, okay, so this is 2016. So catch us up. Like, what are you doing now? And then um, what, tell us what it was like to hear that story again. Yeah, um, well, so it's, it's, it's obviously it's been an, a, an eventful four years since 2016. Um, I, uh, shortly after telling that story, went off to college. Um, I 
going to graduate this year. So that's very exciting. Holy cow. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big, exciting thing. Graduating into a recession. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, that's the general gist of it. And in fact, I actually, uh, I, I got into college. The essay I wrote was a, a version of this story. Oh my um, God. So, you know, this is, this is, <laughs> this has helped me in, in more ways than one. Uh, and, and you guys are getting married now, right? Isn't that what's <laughs> and we're getting married. <laughs> and we're getting married. No, um, although there was someone who stood up in the audience after I told my story and shouted, they're gonna get married. And my current <laughs> oh my. girlfriend at the time was there sitting right <laughs> behind that guy and she was very upset. Wait, when you told this story and you got everybody in the audience to feel really sorry for you, you're telling us you actually were dating someone else and she was there at the time? Yeah, although this was part of an elaborate ploy to get her to break up with me. Um, oh, you used us. You used yeah. us. Yeah, well, you know, it's only fair. Um, <laughs> what? I, There's nothing fair about that. Wait, okay, so wait, I just need to clarify. So the, the girl, the unrequited love was there, but then your current then girlfriend, your then current girlfriend was also there. So you, the, the unrequited love, you got her to come to the show, but she didn't know this was going to be a story about her. Is that correct? Well, I, I don't want to ruin the magic of the story, but she actually wasn't there. Um, I made that up. Um, <laughs> Jesus, Ben, you are killing us. Um, that that is not true. In fact, I had desperately hoped that she wouldn't ever hear that story, um, but she did, and she was really mad. Um, my yeah, but I was I was dating a girl at the time. It was I remember first... her. She was super cute. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. She was. I. It was my first real relationship. And I didn't like her at all. And I was trying to get out of it. And we'd been dating for a few months. And oh my God. Like, Are you what? still friends? Are you I still thought friends? this was really wholesome, but it, it wasn't. Yeah. This is totally sorted. No, there's lots of Ben lots of... maybe needs to stop talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot Wait, of Barry, dark did you know there. that all of this was happening? Did you well did you know that she was Wait, not? And was this in the college? Did you wait? Can I just clarify? <laughs> for the college essay, did you did you did you include this internecine drama in it or or was it like framed as a learning experience? Yeah, big, big, I cut a lot of stuff in the uh, interest of getting into college. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, there was, it was, it was a modified version of the story that, that uh, didn't make me look quite as bad, but, but that was framed as as a big learning experience and it worked. So, you know. Wow. And, and, and hey, look, it's 2020. Get over <laughs> yeah. it. Get over the facts. It's about what works. Oh my God. Wow. I, this is Machiavellian. Wow. I'm is... like, oh my God. Anyway, so I'm, Larry, I'm, are is, you disappointed in that? a lot of innocence experience for me. No, I need to know, Larry, you're hearing all of this right now. You're hearing your son say these things. You're disappointed, aren't you? Well, well, first of all, I knew that 
I, I won't say her name, but I knew that she wasn't in the audience. <laughs> All right. So what do you think about the line that's saying that she was there? Like, do you feel like as a comedian or, you know, a humor writer, you feel like that's a fair move because it's funny or where are you on that? My feeling about it is, is that she was metaphorically there. <laughs> if, oh I my recall, God. if I recall, I didn't Holy say shit. that she was there. I said that she was listening, which was and, and true. That's eventually, true. it was eventually true. <laughs> oh my God. Listening. You know what, Ben? You're going to be fine, baby. You are going to be fine in this world. You are going to be fine. Oh my well, God. I don't know. Well, yeah, this is, um, we might have bitten off more than we can chew really? in this. Yeah. Okay, so now let's 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 give Larry some some interrogation here. So Larry, was your mother in the car with you when you went to the movie? <laughs> I would like to say that it's all oh. true. Oh no! God damn you, Doyle! <laughs> but it was all absolutely true. Okay. Phew. At the same at the same time. I'd like to say that I have told and told many stories many times, and at some point, I don't know what part is the story and what part is fair the enough, truth. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. But as far as I know, it, that all happened the way it happened, uh, excruciatingly. Um, <laughs> although I would say, compared to Ben's story, it was a story. <laughs> it, it ultimately didn't matter to me. Yeah. Um, and, and I would just add, just as a side note, I ended up dating Marietta's younger sister for two years after that. Oh my God. <laughs> you guys. But not so in the, did, not in the, how did Mary, not how did in the Marietta context feel? of that story, not in the context of that story. That was later. How did Marietta feel about that? I never talked to her again after that <laughs> night. Okay. Wait, but, but like back then, if you called someone, like you couldn't be assured that they would answer the phone. Marietta could have very clearly, like she could have answered the phone for the family kind of thing. Did no, ever... no, because Marietta was a senior. She went off to college. Oh. Uh, I don't know if I should say. Loretta was a year younger than I was. So... It, it, you know, it wasn't really an issue. And I, and I don't think it was a secret. Hmm. This is a very Prince Charles thing you've done. I just finished uh, binge watching The Crown and you know that um, Prince Charles dated Diana's older sister before dating Diana. Well, and I wonder, do, would you have liked, was it, you said it was Loretta. Yeah. Would you have liked Loretta had she not been what was her sister? I just lost Marietta. Marietta. Too many Ettas here, but would you have liked her if she had not been her sister? Yes, absolutely. I liked Loretta a lot more. <laughs> Interesting. So what are we going to do, Laura, if either Marietta or Ben's girlfriend that was in the audience four years ago, if they listen to this podcast, they're going to feel very well, sad. Well, no, I think uh, they're well, probably no, all better off. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Marietta is going to care one way or another, but I also don't think Marietta listens to any kind of electronic devices. But uh... 
All right. So I Ben, still, I, I'm still like, yeah, now I'm back thinking about the girlfriend listening to her boyfriend tell a story of unrequited love on stage. Well, sure. Wow. She, she put up with a lot um, in that relationship. Cause again, I was really trying to get out of it and I was a coward. Um, so I wouldn't break up with her. Um, so you were like a coward. You were both ways. Like it was hard for you to ask people to have dates and stuff like that. And then once you were in it, it was hard to get out. Like it was, you, you had trouble coming and going. Precisely. Yes. Um, what is your current the, love life? I, I have a girlfriend now uh, who I do not want to actively break up with. Oh, that's um, great. At least not actively. <laughs> and, and I have no elaborate plots uh, to, to, to get her to break up with me. So that's, it's lovely. <laughs> and Larry, do you like Ben's girlfriend? Yeah, she's great. Um, we, we've had her in the house and, you know, with the appropriate <laughs> COVID tests and, and screening and everything. Um, of course. And, and she's, she's wonderful. But like listening to that now, Ben, listening to that story, like how, does that feel a long time ago or not that long time ago? Or do you feel like, wow, I've got so much more panache now than I used to? Or like, where, what is the like sort of comparison then and now? In, in many ways, it, yeah, that it, it feels like a really long, I mean, you know, four years, I guess, is, is not too long, but I'm not that old. And I, I, I think I'm a very different person now uh, than when I told that story. And obviously, it's, it's agonizing to listen to, listen to yourself speak, let alone listen to yourself being 16 and speaking in front of hundreds of people. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was hard to listen to, but in the same way, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad I did it. I, you know, I, I think it had a big impact on what I, what I ultimately wanted to do with my life. So. Which is, tell us. Oh, I mean, oh, I, I certainly don't perform or anything, but I, I do a lot of comedy, a lot of writing. Um, So and, and, and these were a big part of, I think, finding my comedic voice. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Larry, you, you are a well-known comedy writer and uh, have had a, an illustrious career in that regard. Are, do you have, what are your thoughts on Ben embarking down a similar road? Big mistake. <laughs> Yeah. I've been hearing that since I was a baby. Mm -hmm. And it isn't that he isn't like good because he is. It, it's just really hard. And it was hard when I was doing it. And it's a lot harder now. There's mm -hmm. just not the work. That said, I think he's got a better chance than certainly I did at the same age. He's certainly a better writer than I was at his age. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it's not like plumbing. And How I don't mean you... to insult, I don't mean to insult plumbers. Yeah. I'm no. just saying. Because that... where would we be without plumbers? I mean, no. that, we would be in a world of shit, literally. Well, but let's let's talk about this a little bit more, right? So, but, but the point so Larry, is... can you tell us how did you get to, like, yeah, how did you get to be a writer on The Simpsons? Like, what was that trajectory that got you there? And why is that, why do you feel like that's not necessarily a path that's available or it's 
less available now. We do not have enough time for this. <laughs> uh, it was a peripatetic career that eventually, by connections of this person to that person, uh, uh, that connection. I like to tell people that the way I got a job in The Simpsons is I wrote a code on a piece of paper and I slipped it under Matt Green's door and then I had a job. And the real answer is sort of almost as agonizing to all these people who believe that people are keeping them out of Hollywood, which is I was in California, I was doing something else. I went to visit a friend of mine who worked on The Simpsons and he said, hey, do you want to work here? <laughs> That's amazing. Well, what that leaves off is the 15 years of all the times I had worked with him and done other things that led up to it. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, so, and many of the avenues I took, which were magazines, for example, mm -hmm. um, just aren't available now. And I, you know, I think Ben is doing a great job. He's doing all the things he needs to do. But when people ask me, how do you do it now? You know, everything that I did has been burned down. Well, let me bring it back to the ladies. Let's take <laughs> it away from the career. So, okay, both these stories were about sort of romantic relationships. And, you know, in Ben's story, you know, he talks about his mother, your wife, and I wonder, like, how, like, what's your code or how do you deal with or how do you, what is the agreement you have with your intimates about what you're allowed to do with them as material? That's a great question. My, my mother is still upset that I <laughs> threw her, because this was not the only stoop story I did. I did another one in yeah. which I also threw her under the bus. Um, <laughs> And certainly if I were to do this again, I would not have been so mean to my mom. Um, but that said, I think, I mean, I think it's fair game. Hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, my it's, it's, it's one of the ways that my parents support me is being able to be thrown under the bus when necessary. Uh, okay. <laughs> I see. Okay. So have you thrown your father into the bus? Uh, not well. Not yet? About that. <laughs> not quite yet. I would but say we'll that see. he had to throw me under the bus because I'm just not as important as his mother is. Oh. <laughs> She's safe. I'm just, I'm just not as actively involved in the ways that his mother is. Right. I mean, and I would say like the way you talked about her, we could tell it was all love. Like there is, I mean, she can feel whatever she wants, but no one felt anything, but that she was like a beast of a mom, you know? And if you know, I mean, if you know her personally, she truly is. She's just one of these people that is just, you instantly feel psychologically safe and loved around her. I think, and that would be like for anyone. Weirdly, I'm going to say that's just like Princess Diana again. Our, that's just, <laughs> this is amazing. Like, I'm really... He's trying to turn you guys into the royal family. It's really uh, weird. I, uh, I really feel like maybe you need some help, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. So anyway, okay. So but so so you feel like you're if you're in a, a romantic relationship with somebody, it's fine to like you don't have to ask them. Hey, is it okay if I reveal this or I say this or I talk about you in this way? I who well, are you asking that? I either of you. Um, I this, I think this, okay. Ben can no, no, you go. You go. He has got the worst case, but. No, no, no. I was, I was, I was kicking it off to you because I was saying that this was my mother. I, I don't know if I would throw my girlfriend under under the bus in a story like this quite yet. <laughs> so maybe um, after a certain I, number of years. Uh, and I, I, what I would say on my behalf is that not that I haven't done it, uh, but in this particular case, there's virtually no chance that that person would hear it or anyone. Yeah who knows her would hear it. And, you know, frankly, if you listen to the story, there isn't really anything no, about no, her no. that uh, would matter. Um, but no, you're the, you're the with, one, you're the, you're throwing yourself under the bus and yours, Larry, of course. Right. And Ben is selfishly tossing this poor young girl <laughs> and crushing you're her. You're definitely the better person. <laughs> And yet I failed because I haven't passed that on to him. Oh, that's deep. No, yeah, I actually just, I just, I'm, I just I'm, think anytime you write, you'd write about your life. It's just, you come up against these, like, where does my life and another person's begin and all of that stuff. So it's, it's just interesting to think about if I'm always curious about if people have, you know, just like a code regarding that. I think it's kind of a writer's, uh, it's sort of a writer's curse. I don't, when I, when I write my usual things, they aren't really autobiographical, but yeah. probably people who know what I'm talking about know that they're autobiographical. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and I try not to do that, but I probably do that anyway. And And I think if you are involved with a writer, uh, this Too is going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not even suck up, but it's just like that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if there are two writers involved, then of course you get two stories that don't necessarily match. Um, but uh, it, it's hard. It, uh, like, what else are you going to use as a writer? Absolutely. All right. Now, here's a really easy question. Um, like, have you? How have you guys been funny during this pandemic? I'm brain dead, so I haven't <laughs> been. Um, but no, I mean, you know, writing. Uh, but do you feel like it's been, has it been easier, harder, like weirder? Has it, has it changed your humor? I mean... <laughs> logistically it's a lot harder for me um because i i uh i edit my college's humor magazine um and and one of the the very best things about that is being in a room with all of those people and yeah. tossing jokes around and eating cookies and stuff and you know we have zoom meetings and stuff now but it's it's certainly not the same um and and i i think i you know, it's all, it's a lot harder to be funny when you're trapped in your own bedroom. 
uh, on your computer, uh, just trying to think of jokes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I'd say on my part that like, uh, I mean, traditionally a lot of my humor has been fueled by anger, um, but for the last four years, mostly my anger has been fueled by more anger. (laughs) Yeah. And so it hasn't been very funny per se. Yeah. But that's all over now. Yeah. Right, right. (laughs) There isn't going to be anything that happens next week that might change that. Mm-mm. Absolutely not. <laughs> well, I, I mean, but is there something to be said? So you are a father and son. You're both writers. You both see the world through this comedic lens. When you come home, Ben, and um, you know, you kind of get the the veneer of the world off of you and just like tuck into your world like is there like an um like do you guys have like bits or routines or things that you do uh together together do you mean yeah you mean together yeah yeah together we say really vile things at dinner and make our mother upset (laughs) (laughs) thank god is that true uh yeah, it's true. But um, <laughs> I, I would say that uh, I don't think our family is any more fun loving than other families. Um, uh, I, I do think, and I want to say that I, I feel like Ben has a much more, um, I don't want to call it mature because that would imply that he's mature, but uh, a much more developed voice than I certainly had at his age. I was mostly just copying at that point and uh, the you know everybody in the family has somewhat of a sense of humor uh becky isn't particularly fond of the darker stuff but uh nevertheless uh but it isn't like we're you know i've heard like uh, conan o'brien talks about how his family they're always trying to crack each other up and i don't think we do that so yeah, it's not because you have Ben. You have two. You have younger siblings who are twins, and yeah. Becky is your mom that we're just talking about. So um, there's like there's not a um, like. Do you think that, that they family improv truth? <laughs> so are they fun? Do you think your your twin siblings are funny? Oh, they're they're hilarious, and they're hilarious in ways that I don't understand because I'm not that young anymore. Um, um, do you want to hear? Do you want to hear a funny thing that I just put together? Is that your your sister and your daughter is um, about to to tutor my daughter? <laughs> no way! Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so yeah, that's great. Just wanted to make that connection. She All probably right, won't well... screw with her too much. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks, you guys. It was great to catch up with you and um, to have our innocence completely destroyed um, and see that you're thriving in this time. Um, before... I don't know if I'd say thriving. No, I think that they're doing okay. Hey, I'd like I to point think... out that I told the truth in this particular case. <laughs> <laughs> I 
My whole story um, was true. Um, and, and we went about the end ended up being true. <laughs> That's right. Um, before we finish for today, we want to thank the wine source on Elm Avenue in Hamden. They are a great headquarters for whatever you need to make it through. And they're lovely people um, to visit them for the holidays. We want to thank Maureen Harvey for producing the podcast. And Jessica, do you want to share yeah, about we our have upcoming a show? show? We have a show coming up. It's um, Saturday, December 12th, the Soup Virtual Holiday Hoo-Ha, an evening of seasonal stories, comedy sketches, and music. We'll have sketches from the Maryland Improv Collective, music from the Hot Club of Baltimore, and it's hosted by WYPR's Aaron Hinken, broadcast live from the Creative Alliance. Really looking forward to that. So if you want to get tickets for that, you can visit soupstorytelling.com. Otherwise, have a good Thanksgiving, and we will be back with another Soup Stories podcast episode very soon. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye. From the moment I could talk.